0: Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. Today we begin an exposition of this wonderful book. And for the past few months, I have been literally immersed in this book. I have read it again and again and again. I've memorized it. I've meditated upon its contents. I've allowed God to really use it in my life. And God has has used it, Trust caused me to trust Him, refresh my soul, challenge me, has encouraged me. And uh, my goal, and my trust, and my hope is over the next few months as we go through this book together that God will do similar things in your heart as well. This morning I'm going to preach uh, an overview of the entire book. You know, it's always a good idea when entering a forest to examine the trees that you first examine the forest first. When going on a journey, it's always good to survey a map to understand where you're going before actually heading to the streets. And so this morning, it's my aim to give you a broad overview of the book of 1 Peter. Now, in my overview this morning, I'm not going to give you a detailed outline of the book. That's really not my aim this morning. My aim is more to just throw a bunch of things together at you to see the major themes of 1 Peter. We're going to pull verses from here and there just according to the, the different things that arise in First Peter so that at the end of my message, I want to recite First Peter for you so that you kind of see the themes and can hear them coming up again and again and again. Well, my message this morning is entitled, Suffer Now, Glory Later. <clears throat> it's because with those four words, I think the theme of First, Tutor, First Peter is very nicely reduced Suffer now, glory later. Peter wrote this book to those who are suffering or were going to experience suffering at some point in the future. And through it all, Peter's consistent counsel to these people was to look beyond their suffering. Look to the glory that will be theirs in heaven. That's the theme of 1 Peter. Though you're suffering now, eagerly wait for the glory that will be revealed to you. And that's why Peter was saying in this epistle, suffer now because there's glory later. What's the theme of 1 Peter? I forgot. Suffer now, glory later. Suffer now what? Finish it, Nathan? Glory later. Glory later. Exactly. Those four words are going to help us through. Now, there are other themes in 1 Peter. All right? This is not like... Everything. There's lots of other things going on here. But I do believe that suffer now, glory later includes... There's also this theme of, of trusting God in difficulties. And I think you can kind of imply this. Suffer now and trust God in these difficulties because there is glory later. There's another theme coming of living righteously. And I think it's suffer now and continue to live righteously and walk righteously because you know that at the end there is glory There's another theme of submitting to others. And I think it fits in here. You suffer now, and even your submission to your authorities might be something which is a suffering. But but, but do that because you know that there is a, a glory that awaits you forever. What's the theme of 1 Peter again? I forget. Suffer now, glory later. Good, good, good. Now, the reasons for suffering are varied. If you look there in chapter 1, verse 6, Peter speaks there about the various trials that have come upon you. This word various is the Greek word poikolois, which is a word which can be translated literally um, multicolored, multifaceted, multidimensional, uh, varied circumstance is what he's talking about. And what Peter's talking about is that these readers are, are facing multiple different sorts of trials in their life. Some were suffering merely because they were Christians. In chapter 4, verse 14, it says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because they'd taken on the name of Christ, they were being reviled. And it says in chapter 4, verse 16, that some are even suffering as Christians. Some were suffering because of their faith. Because in their faith, they wouldn't engage in sinful activities of other people. In chapter 4, verse 4, it speaks about how these people want to engage you in sinful activities. And if you don't, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. As a result, they malign you because of your righteousness. Some are suffering because they had a master who was unreasonable. These are the bosses of those days. And it says in chapter 2, verse 18, that servants should submit to their master's not only to the good and gentle ones, that, that's easy, but even to those who are unreasonable. Some were um, suffering because married unbelieving men. And Peter told them, Wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, marriage difficulties they're facing. Some were suffering because they were the object of verbal Slander even though they did nothing to deserve that slander. Paul t- Peter told them in 2 Peter, 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So in the thing, once you're slandered as evildoers, those who observe your good behavior will glorify God in the day of visitation. They're doing good things. They have good behavior, but they're being slandered as evildoers. It says the same thing in, in chapter 3, verse 16. It speaks about how you need to keep a good conscience so the thing in which you're slandered. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ would put to shame. You have good behavior in Christ and yet you're being slandered for your righteous behavior. Some are suffering because they felt as aliens in a strange land. Chapter 1, verse 1 is how Peter starts It's Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are scattered as aliens. They felt like they were different in a foreign land, in a foreign culture, with different things around them. And they were suffering as a result of that. And Peter even called them aliens in chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, being an alien can be a difficult thing when you're surrounded by a culture which isn't your own. These are the various trials that these people are going through. Now, the wonderful thing of the fact that they're going through various trials is that these words then apply to all sorts of suffering in our lives. If you're here today and you're suffering in one shape or another, you can be assured that the words of First Peter are applicable to you. Wayne Grudem in his commentary is exactly right. He said the phrase various trials should also caution us against looking against any specific kind of persecution or suffering as historical background for this letter. And you can try to pigeonhole these people who are suffering into one specific kind of suffering that they're experiencing. But the fact that there were various trials shows that there are many. And Wayne Grudem continues, Since no one kind of trial or testing is in view, Peter's words have their application to all the trials which Christians experience. So maybe you're here this morning and are facing verbal assaults of others. First Peter is going to help you. Maybe you're here this morning facing marriage difficulties because of your spouse for some reason or another. First Peter can help you. Maybe you're facing difficulties at work because of an unreasonable boss who you think is demanding way too much of you. First Peter can help you. Maybe you're being mocked by family members or, or um, neighbors because of your commitment to live a holy life. Peter's advice can help. Maybe you're... Maybe you're here this morning and suffering from an illness, right? Maybe a cracked shoulder blade or maybe having a family member's dying of cancer, other circumstances. You can learn from Peter's counsel. Maybe there are certain circumstances in your life which are particularly painful. Maybe you have children who've caused you a headache because of the choices they've made. Maybe there's some family situation that's giving you grief. Maybe there are relational difficulties. Maybe there's a fear of the unknown. Maybe there are financial problems. Children, maybe there are some pressures at school for you. Or neighbors who are pressuring you to do sinful things. Peter's letter will help all these situations. I could go on and on and on trying to think about the different applications of the, the different lives in which you lead. But I simply say this. Think about your own life. Think about a particular area in your life in which you're suffering today. Maybe there's something that you're finding difficult or hard. What is it? Try to try to pinhole it. Try to pigeonhole it. Say, you know what? In my life, this is my suffering, or this is my difficulty. And and I think I can almost guarantee that First Peter will be applicable to that situation. Because that's what First Peter is about. It's what's the theme of First Peter again? Glory later. Right maybe today finds you not suffering. If you're in that fortunate circumstance, know that suffering's coming. It's only a matter of time. And for you, First Peter will simply prepare you for that. You know, we had a great picture of this when we came home from our family vacation. It was gone for two and a half weeks and, and we're driving home from the airport in our van and all of a sudden, it wasn't particularly hot outside, but the, the air spewing out of our air conditioner wasn't so hot. It wasn't so cold. It was kind of hot, and I said, hmm, maybe our air conditioner's not working. So we turned it off for a little bit, and then we turned it on, and, okay, it started working a little bit better. Well, that night then, we got in our our car and drove just even in our neighborhood, and our car was getting pretty loud. And I think it was some kind of air conditioner problem. If I imitated, it (laughs) sounded like something was grinding, and um, we were not driving that car until I see my neighbor mechanic have him look at it. Things break. We came home, um, I think it was that night then um, we put some food in the garbage disposal, and I turned on the switch to the garbage disposal and I heard this mm. turn up, mm. and so being the expert husband repair guy, you know I, I took my um, wooden handle and mm, and I kind of started and. Vroom. Starts spinning, and Ivan had heard earlier you're supposed to throw ice in it maybe to clean it up. So I threw a bunch of ice in there, and well, to make a long story short, now when I flick the switch, this is what it does. Now. <laughs> the next morning, I was informed by one of our children that the shower and the bathroom that they use isn't working very well. Krista told me that our printer was down due to a drum problem that we had in our printer. I mean, this, these are small things, right? But it's a, it's a, it's a picture of what life is like. Like, circumstance or heart, things break in life. Whether it's relationships that break, whether it's jobs that break, whether it's bodies that break, whether it's finances that break, whether it's a, a future that's unknown and circumstances break. That's how life is. Life is filled with suffering. And if you aren't suffering today, be assured that you will suffer in the future. What your suffering's like, I'm not sure. But 1 Peter will prepare you for that suffering. And if you're suffering now, 1 um, Peter will comfort you in your suffering. Because that's the theme of 1 Peter, right? What's the theme of 1 Peter? So now, glory, later. On vacation, I had an opportunity to read a book entitled The Triumph of John and Betty Stam." I heard these people... I've heard about these people before, but I had never read their biography. I got to read their biography. They were missionaries in China in the 1930s during the Chinese Civil War. And so they went to China in a particularly difficult time. They both went to Moody Bible Institute. Betty was a little bit older, so she went over to China first. John then followed when they joined up in China. Then they were married. Um, Less than a, a year after their marriage, they had a little child. Helen Priscilla Stamm was born to them. September 11th, 1934. And the child was less than three months old, like our little David that we have, less than three months old. They were serving on the mission field. Uh, John was 27. Betty was 28. Serving there in a hard mission field, but rewarding labor. Things were profitable. Things were going well. People received them kindly. And December 6th, 1934, they were taken captive by some of the Chinese communist soldiers. The night when they were captured, John Stamm wrote this letter to the China Inland Mission, his sending board. He said, Dear brethren, my wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of the communists in the city of Tsingta. Their demand is $20,000 for our release. $20,000 in 1934 was a lot of money. All our possessions and stores are in their hands, but we praise God for peace in our hearts and a meal tonight. God grant you wisdom in what you do, and us fortitude, courage, and peace of heart. He is able and a wonderful friend in such a time. Things happened so quickly this morning. <clears throat> they were in the city. Just a few hours after, the ever-persistent rumors really became alarming. So we could not prepare to leave in time. we were just too late. The Lord bless and guide you. And as for us, may God be glorified, whether by life or by death. In Him, John Stamm. And there was a man who was prepared to suffer well. And First Peter is the sort of book that will help you to suffer well. The next day, they were forced to travel 12 miles over mountainous territory. John was forced to walk these 12 miles. He came to a town called Miao Xiao. My Chinese accent is bad. Forgive me about that. They went to Miao Xiao, Betty and baby Helen were allowed to ride the horse for a little bit. John had to walk these rugged terrains. And upon arriving in town, they they came to the postmaster's shop. Now, the postmaster recognized them because they had seen them before uh, in previous travels. And the postmaster said, where are you going? And John said in those famous words, he said, I don't know where they're going, but we're going to heaven, is what he said. And then there in the postmaster's shop, Betty was given something to eat, and John carved out just a little bit of time to, to write a letter that demonstrates the great stability that he found in the time of difficulty. He wrote Dear brethren, we are in the hands of communists here being taken from Tsingta, and they have passed, when they passed through yesterday, they want $20,000 before they will free us, which we have told them that we are sure will not be paid. They weren't making any false promises. They're saying that's not going to be paid. He said, Famine relief money and our personal money and our effects are all in their hands. God give you wisdom in what you do and give us grace and fortitude. He is able, yours and him, John Stam. Well, they spent that night there under guard, and the next morning the Stams were roughly summoned and let out to die. Betty, by the grace of God, was able to hide Helen Priscilla in their sleeping quarters. She was found 30 hours later. Fine and okay. And I believe that she's still alive today. But John and Betty were, were led out, bound with ropes, paraded down the streets. The communists, Chinese Reds, were shouting their ridicule and calling people to come and watch their execution. At one point in time, John was called to get down on his on his knees. Quickly, he kneeled. And with a sword, they cut off his head. And without a word, Betty likewise got down and knelt And her head, too, was chopped off moments later, perhaps even with the same sword. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. They were going to heaven, and that's where they they went. But you don't die heroically like that without some preparation. Both John and Betty Stamm had counted the cost in going to China. They knew the risks, they knew the dangers, but they considered Christ worth it all. And they weren't afraid. And in fact, in one letter that uh, uh, John had written to his father a- at some point, he wrote the story of a, of, a, of a missionary who was caught in the hand of some bandit soldiers. And the, the soldiers asked this missionary, Are you afraid? With gun pointed at him. And he said, No, I'm not afraid. If you shoot, I go straight to heaven. And as a result of this, this missionary then that was killed, I believe, a poem was written Called afraid and john quoted this to his father in a letter that he had written earlier so john was prepared for this and, and this poem goes like this says, afraid of what to feel the spirit's glad release to pass from pain to perfect peace the strife and strain of life to cease afraid of that Afraid of what? Afraid to see the Savior's face, to hear his welcome and to trace the glory gleam from wounds of grace? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? A flash, a crash, a pierced heart? Darkness, light, O heavens art, a wound of his, a counterpart. Afraid of that? Afraid? Of what? to do by death what life could not, baptize with blood a stony plot till souls shall blossom from the spot. Afraid of that? The Stams weren't afraid of that, and so they received a, a martyr's crown. And the book of First Peter is a book that will prepare us for such a perspective that will say, Afraid of what? Afraid of that? I don't think so. Because the theme of First Peter is suffer now and glory later. And when, like Asaph, you see their end, and when you see the Lord high and exalted and lifted up high, and the glory that you will be called into for being faithful in Christ, it will all pale. It will all pale. Well, let me show you this theme in First Peter. Turn over to chapter 5, verse 10. Peter writes here, After you have suffered for a little while... The God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And we see those two words coming up there again. He says, you suffered. After you suffered, this God who's called you to His eternal glory in Christ is going to perfect you, strengthen you, establish you, and secure you to bring you up to that place. And He said His suffering is just for a little while. The Scriptures always speak about how life on earth is just a, a vapor. It's just a breath. It's over in a moment. But heaven is forever and eternal. And after you've suffered, God is going to do His work to make sure that you're perfected, to make sure that you're confirmed, to make sure that you're strengthened, to make sure you're established, to be able to make it through, to bring you unto that final day. In fact, it says in chapter 1, verse 5, that those who believe in God and Christ Jesus are protected by His power so as to receive this salvation. Suffer now, glory later. It's Peter's message. And throughout this letter, Peter is very clear as to how we should act while suffering. We am going to pull some other themes here. One of the things he said is you should constantly walk in a righteous manner. Walk rightly. He says in chapter 2, verse 12, do good deeds. He says in chapter 2, verse 20, to do Right. He says in chapter 3, verse 14, walk in righteousness. He says in chapter 3, verse 16, to have good behavior. In chapter 3, verse 17, do what's right, not what's wrong. Take the name of Christ. Take the name of Christian and walk righteously. Even though though oppression is coming upon you, even though suffering is coming upon you, and even though it's hard and difficult, and in some circumstances, even by sinning, you would relieve the pressure of the suffering. He says, don't do that. Keep walking righteously in this. And the reason for that is really simple. Because your suffering is the will of God. Chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what's right. It says your suffering is part of God's will for your life. It's by design that we are aliens and strangers on this earth. It's by design that we experience trials and tribulations here so that our affections would be placed upon heaven above. In fact, that's what Paul Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. When, when, when testing and trials come upon you, you shouldn't be surprised. Like, oh, where'd this come from? It's strange. No, it's coming, as it says there in verse 12, for your testing in other words, it's God's will. Chapter 3, verse 17. It's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. That says if you're doing what's right and if God should will it so because He's in control, it's better that you do what's right even if you suffer for it than do wrong and get away from the suffering. You need to walk righteously because God is in control. He sees what's taking place. He'll reward it and help you appropriately that's why in chapter 3 verses 10 11 and 12 Peter quotes Psalm 34 because Psalm 34 has, has a people in difficult circumstances and God looking over and seeing and supporting and strengthening chapter 3 verse 10 who is the one who desires life to love and see good days he must keep his tongue from evil. His lips from speaking deceit, right? He must walk righteously. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God knows everything that's going on. It's not like you're suffering and it's out of control. It's not like you're walking righteously and He doesn't see it. Oh, He sees and He knows. And we're called to walk righteously. Because there are purposes in that. And one of the big purposes in suffering is that suffering brings opportunities for evangelism. In chapter 3, verse 14, it says, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. It's kind of weird. Suffering for the sake of righteousness, you're doing righteous things. Peter says you're blessed in that. He says don't fear their intimidation, don't be troubled. But his counsel comes in 3.15, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And the idea there is that as they see you suffering for the sake of righteousness, it gives them an opportunity to observe, you're different, why are you doing righteousness? And we're continuing to to afflict you, we're maligning you, we're slandering you, and you continue to walk in righteousness? How can that be? And they may just ask you. And when they ask you, you give an account for the hope that's in you. He says, keep a good conscience in chapter 3, verse 16, so in the thing in which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, we put to shame. It's an opportunity for God to have testimony. In chapter 2, verse 12, a parallel verse to chapter 3, verse 16, he said, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. The idea there is that they're slandering you. They're calling you an evildoer. But as you continue righteously, as you continue to trust in the Lord, someday they may glorify God in the day of visitation. It probably means that they're converted. It probably means because, in part, of your example of suffering, walking righteously, even when everything around you would say, don't walk righteously, join us in sin. It's one of the means by which God uses to convert people. And as you have opportunities to talk, as 315 says... And come to faith, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know what? There's even a a delight that the Lord loves when He sees people suffering for righteous behavior. Think about chapter 2, verse 20. It's a really good insight there. What credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure with patience? There's no credit if when you sin or suffer for it, you, you patiently endure it. Like, oh God, I'm suffering. If you're suffering because you're sin, there's no credit in there. But He says... If you do what is right and suffer for it and patiently endure it. it, says this finds favor with God. God looks down upon people who are suffering righteously and delights in it. You say, why is that? Well, because so the Lord sees His people suffer well. It's a picture of our Savior's sacrifice. That's why. We can show people what our Savior was like In fact, that's a purpose we've been called to. Chapter 2, verse 21. For your call for this very purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. It says in chapter 2, verse 22, He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth. And while being reviled, He didn't revile in return, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. What Jesus did when He was being crucified there upon the cross, He was being reviled. Remember, they mocked at Him. They said, oh, he saved others, he can't save himself. Come down from this cross and we'll believe in you. And they mocked him. What did he do? He trusted his soul to God. And that's what we're called to do. Chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what's right. In our suffering, we need to trust ourselves to God, walking righteously because we know that there's glory later. That's what we're called to do. It's what Jesus did. He suffered the just for the unjust to bring us to God. He was a righteous man, and yet he suffered the fate of an unrighteous man. And that's what happens in our suffering when we uh, are persecuted wrongly, slandered for the name of Christ, right? We do what is right, and then, then the wrong comes upon us. That's exactly what Jesus did. And His death then brought us to God. For by His wounds you were healed. That's what the Scripture says. As we do that, we model our Savior. We'll turn over and look at another verse here. Chapter 1, verse 11. I think that it points here about how Jesus had um, a perspective of greater things to come. I can't wait to exposit this passage, but it speaks about how the prophets in verse 10 wrote down what they wrote. And and they didn't quite understand, and so they they studied really hard the things they wrote. And then it says that there in, in verse 11, they were seeking to know... What person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. That's the path Jesus went down. The theme of First Peter. Sufferings of Christ, glories to follow. Suffer now, glory later. That was exactly the life of Jesus. The things that motivate you to suffer now is to realize that glory is to come in the future. That's what will motivates you. That's what will keep you righteous in those type of things. In fact, Peter in chapter 1, almost the entire chapter, and much of chapter 2, really outlines for us the marvels of our salvation. Speaks about the glorious inheritance that we have, which is imperishable and undefiled, and it won't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us who are protected by the power of God. This great salvation. The prophets are even longing to look and to understand the salvation. Angels are looking down, longing to look into our salvation. Chapter 1, verse 12. Now, we don't see Christ fully. That's what one, chapter 1, verse 8 is about. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory because we will obtain as the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. That's what Peter's talking about. The salvation that we have is unbelievable. It is amazing. And that's what verses 3 through 9 in chapter 1 are really about. That's what verses 10, 11, 12 are about. The hymn writer is right. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. In your suffering, hold fast to this hope. In fact, look at chapter 1, verse 13. It says right there, the second half of it, Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix it there entirely, wholly, completely. That's where you need to be, right? Suffer now, glory later, and put your hope there. Doesn't mean that you just go up to the mountains and think about things. No, it calls us to righteous living. Because the first part of verse 13 of chapter 1 says, Prepare your minds for action. Chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, we need to live holy lives. And just because we've been forgiven, chapter 1, verse 17, just because we address God as Father, doesn't mean we live as the way we want because we're forgiven, but we conduct ourselves in fear during the time of our stay on earth, knowing that our redemption is so great and so marvelous. Well, how are we supposed to find the strength to do this? How do you find the strength? I mean, certainly by the Spirit of God, by trusting God, but there is a means by which we can be um, encouraged and trust in these ways. It's the Word of God. The way you start your salvation is the way you need to keep it and continue on in it. In chapter 1, verse 23, He says, You've been born again, not of sea which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring Word of God. He said, And this is the Word that was preached to you. Chapter 1, verse 25, right there at the end. It's the Word that was preached to us. And chapter 2, verse 2. We need to, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. I look forward to exposing that passage as we have an infant who longs for the pure milk of the Word. Richness, and that 's how we need to long for the scriptures, how we need to long for the Word, you need to memorize it, you need to meditate upon it, you need to think about it, you need to pray it, and trust God for it. Well, that is really an overview, and uh, what I'd like to do now is even ex- transition to a time where I quote the passage for you. I want to quote first Peter for you' been spent probably last two and a half months or so in first Peter. Um, I put together a little sheet in your bulletin, tips for memorizing extended portions of Scripture. You know, if you're encouraged by this time, I, I think you will be. I think you'll see these things in First Peter, encourage your heart and your soul. Uh, you can look at this and, and talk about this. You know You can also talk to Eric um, Elshazer. He 's memorized a lot of Scripture and uh, it's really helped. it's really helped to me. And uh, First Peter is, uh, uh, has, been, has been great for me. I've been praying about this time, and I thought it would be an effective way to end my message on First Peter. I'm just going to quote the book for you, and then I'll turn it back over to Jake. And if you want to start memorizing, I know our family has memorized. We're up through chapter 2, verse 10 or 11, I think, in memorizing. It's been a great time. It's been fun for us. been enjoyable. It's not been a lot of work, but it's been good. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves in these things, but you who have had the Gospel preached to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you address his Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by man, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also... But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you, are chosen race, a royal priesthood, A holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to kings as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing what is right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as freemen. And do not use your freedom as an opportunity for evil. But use as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do it as right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it? This finds favor with God. For you are called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. And while being reviled, he didn't revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In the same way, you wives... Submit to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you've become her children, if you do as right, without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so your prayers will not be hindered. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you are called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so in the thing in which they slander you, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins, the just "...for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also He went and made proclamation to the spirits who are now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God." For a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also for the same purpose. Because he who has suffered, the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality and lusts drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the fleshless men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler but if anyone suffers as a Christian he is not to be ashamed but is to glorify God in that name I need help Chrissa for it is time for the judgment to begin with a household of God and if it begins with us first what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God and if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God has opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world after you have suffered for a little while. The God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She was in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ.